Thank you. Um, for those of you who have the Church's Bible, we'll be reading from Colossians 1, 28 to uh, 2, verse 5. And that is found in page, on page 1183 in the Church's Bible. admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are, and how firm your faith in Christ is. Thank you so much for me. Do please keep that open in front of you if you've got it open. I'm just going to talk to us about that for a few minutes. Now, uh, once um, I went to the pub in Salford and this is not an experience I would recommend to anyone. Um, I went with two Scousers um, and it was on the night of a Man United match in the days when you could watch those thinking they might win. <laughs> they were probably love all of that. We had to, the pub was so rough you had to ring a bell to get in because of security and when we did, it was simply a room of skin-headed men glued to the TV. But my Scots friend, not being a fan of Man United, insisted on playing a game of pool, loudly, whilst giving his loud opinions on why Liverpool were better than Man United. I think we were lucky to escape with our lives back to the safe shores of the Mersey. Now, there are probably people here today feeling as alienated as I felt then sitting in a church service. I hope the people here have been more welcoming than the skinhead mics who glared at us during our pool game. I hope so. And I've got to say, every guest I've met today has been more polite than my pool playing friend was in the pub. But baptism is strange. It's a big thing for teenagers to stand up and say what they've just said, which is, my old life is over. I've started a new life trusting Jesus. You know, I reject the devil. What's that all about? My life now is about someone else, Jesus being in charge. And if you're not used to this, you might be looking around thinking, you're all singing and talking like this is normal. But it's not normal. To us here, it is normal. We understand, I think, why someone would be welcoming this new life, which is full of challenge and people thinking you're strange. But I do get, we're not exactly sort of establishment here. We have the same historical faith, but this isn't the type of formal religion 
you might be uh, familiar with through a royal wedding or funeral. Well, we're looking at this letter over this term from the Bible, which is from someone called Paul to a small group of Christians in a city he had never been. And this group of Christians, like Eden and Millie have told us today, they have embarked on this strange way of life. They've had these beliefs about Jesus that they think are true, and they're banding together in a little community of Christians. They're not important. They're not sponsored by the government. But they are filled with conviction and joy at what they have come to trust. Paul says about them in verse 5 we had just read, that they are disciplined and firm in their faith. And he is spelling out to them in this letter why it is worth staying with this strange life, a life he would describe as trusting the gospel. This message about Jesus, he's saying it's the right way to keep going with, strange as it may seem to everybody else. And I hope that will help you today. Whether you're here and you're looking at all of this from the outside, thinking a bit strange, or you are a Christian like them, full of faith and disciplined and enthusiastic, or I guess like some of the people in their church, wondering if this strange life chosen by Eden and Millie and all the other members of our church is really worth choosing. And Paul begins in uh, verse 1, he doesn't begin, but we begin in verse 1, by seeing that him saying this work of pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to trust the gospel, it's really, really hard work. He has invited difficulty into his life by taking on that job. This concern he's got for these Christians he's never met, and yet he has no regrets. He's saying, I want you to know how hard I'm working. I love that. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1, sounds like me when I'm like emptying the dishwasher, my children. I want you to know how hard I'm working for your benefit. But he's not saying it like that. He's not saying, woe is me. He's saying, I want you to know how hard I'm working because I want you to know how worth it all of this is. It's not a silly hobby. It's worth choosing this strange life. And that's what we're going to look at today. What is all of this about, that it's so worth choosing this difficult life? Here's the first thing. We are about everyone feeling assurance. This week, through some voluntary work I do, I was sitting in a training session about attachment and trauma. This is a, this is a stock image of a training session. Ours was much less exciting than this. There were no multicoloured post-its at my training session. Uh, but the actual people didn't want to be in my sermon, unsurprisingly. And like I said, I'm no expert in that, that's why I was being trained in it. But I was listening to some people who were, and what they seemed to be saying was that due to all sorts of factors, so many people go through terrible rejection and incredibly difficult and traumatic things, but you have to think about that any time that they're sort of like acting out towards you. You have to think about what have they been through that is making them behave like that. Now, I'm no expert, and I'm sure it's more complex than that, but the insight must be right. There are plenty of people who are carrying hard things that I couldn't imagine, and that at least goes some of the way to explain all the ways they aren't nice to me. Well, I'm not about to say become a Christian and never struggle with wounds of attachment and trauma anymore, but if it is true, as Paul says here, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus, which is a big claim, 
The roots of the way through this are here in trusting Jesus. Because Jesus offers us a union with God, an unbreakable personal commitment to us, a perfectly safe attachment. And he offers us redemption from trauma. That is, he promises us to always bring good things out of bad when we trust Jesus. And we worship Jesus because he walked that path. Didn't God just didn't stay in heaven and say, I can help you? He walked the path of bad attachment and big trauma. But I'm not saying become a Christian and never feel those things again. Any Christian here will really tell you it's a struggle to believe and accept and to know those promises that the gospel makes us. Christians are loved and adopted into a perfect family, but they still carry and deal with the weight of problems from their own life. Christians are accepted and redeemed and forgiven, but are often still eaten up with anger and pain and guilt about the way they have treated other people and have been treated. So they have this truth, we have this truth, we find it hard to live in that truth. That is the life. That is the battle. That is why we are here, trying to get what we know is true really into us. That's it. That's the Christian life. Maybe if you're visiting here today, you have the wrong idea that we sort of are here at church because we think for some reason God likes it. And uh, why he would like this? I mean, it would have strange taste, wouldn't it? God likes it, and so we make up for the bad things we do by coming to church and doing this. Maybe that's what you're imagining. Maybe that's what you're imagining, like getting baptised. You know, they're bad, but God will be happy if they get baptised. That's not the way it works. The truth is, once you trust Jesus, you have it all already. This union with God. This redeeming love. And the fight, the battle of the Christian life, for those of us who are completely attached and completely forgiven, is to really know and feel the assurance of that. Paul says it in verse 2. To know the full riches of that. And we're doing this here today to help other people feel that too. That is the life. So as you hear Millie and Eden talk today, they're accepted by God through Jesus, and that's true for them forever. Whatever is done to them or by them in the future, they're accepted. That is never in doubt now. But there is still a battle to fight, a life to live, a work to do. It is to, with the help of others to really know that, to live in the full riches of it and the battle that we are always fighting in church is not with each other hopefully sometimes it is but it shouldn't be the battle we're fighting in church is to help one another really know that truth is true that's what paul is getting at when he starts off by saying i want you to know that i'm fighting hard that i'm contending and then he says uh, i'm fighting very hard verse 2 in order that christians should be encouraged in heart that sounds like an easy thing to do to encourage Christians, doesn't it? It's like, come on everyone, you know, have a biscuit, have a cup of tea, be encouraged. It sounds easy, why are you fighting all the time to do that? But anyone who's been a Christian for a while will tell you that to keep hanging on to that truth, more than hanging on, 
to keep enjoying and being encouraged and knowing the full riches of being accepted by God is hard. And helping other people really know that in their lives, that's hard. Think of a musician. Uh, sometimes musicians are just show-offs. No offence if you're a musician. It's true, isn't it? But sometimes musicians practice not to show off, I think, uh, but because they think this music is so beautiful, it's worth all the work to get the beauty out there, to get the beauty to people and into their hearts. When you go and see the Philharmonic or something, see the Philharmonic Orchestra, and they have practiced so hard at things that I will never notice as a Philistine. You know, if they explained it to you, they would say, oh yes, I'm doing this technique here. Doesn't mean anything to me, sorry. You know, I'm just enjoying the ride. But they will say, yes, but I want to get the real beauty of this to you, so I'm going to spend hours practicing it. It's worth the hard work. And that's what Paul is saying about the truth, this truth about Jesus. He's like, it's really hard to get the truth of it into our hearts. But I'm going to work hard because it's so beautiful. It's worth that. This is the life. There is no moment now, Millie and Eden or anyone else who's trusting Jesus, there is no moment now that you won't be right with Jesus. Those moments are over. But there will be moments, plenty of moments, that your heart needs encouragement to believe that. And now, Billy and Eden and everybody else who's in our church, we are going to fight. We're not going to fight you, but we are going to fight, contend. We're going to labour with all our energy to make sure you have every opportunity to know that in your heart. That is it. That is what we're going to do. And the moment will come where someone else needs that hard work from you. They need your hard work and labour and energy to pray and love and encourage them. I will say, and I am one, so I don't think I'm being rude, discouraged people aren't super fun to be around. You know, they're not a laugh a minute, are they, discouraged people? They're more drains than radiators, as one of my friends would say. But we are committed to working for those discouraged people to know the full assurance of the riches of Jesus. That is what we are about because the music is so beautiful. The riches are so deep, we are going to work hard to make sure it happens. Did you know that's actually going on in church life all the time? You may not realise. Sometimes people from church disappear or they're just very quiet or they're sad or they say, I feel really unsure of my faith. And if they're really in this community, what I think they'll find is that they will receive text messages and offers to visit, people talking to them and praying with them, even gently, hopefully, telling them that they're wrong. And that's us doing what Paul describes here, working hard for your assurance. We so want you to know the true riches of what we have in Jesus. And we expect you as well to fight, to fight for mine, fight for my assurance. That's what we expect from each other. Most people, there are some people, most people don't like being interfering and controlling. I mean, there are people who like that, aren't they? And um, you, know, you can spot them. 
Uh, but most people don't like being interfering and controlling. If they start doing this to you, do you know what they're doing? They're labouring as hard as they can to help you know the full riches of what you've got. It's what we do. Paul says, you're bringing people such beauty, it's worth the hard work. Can you imagine if we were able to live day by day in that greatness and sufficiency of Jesus, in that brilliant assurance, what resources we've had to just live freely in a way that changes the world and does good for others. Because we're so sure of what's in the bank, drawing on those riches. Now just in case it sounds like I'm promoting some sort of therapy here, that's sometimes what happens to me. Uh, when you work for a church, when you socially meet people for the first time, it's amazing how people react with sort of fear and nervousness. You say, what do you do as a job? Oh, I work for a church. People immediately say, oh right, I just want to be clear, religion is not for me. It's like, I can see you coming. It's lovely for you, but stand back. It's not my bag. And so they're sort of like saying, well done you for believing in the sky fairies. I'm glad it helps you, but it's not for me. Paul says here in this passage, these riches are only effective for us if they're actually true. That's what he says, the second thing we see. We are about everyone feeling the assurance of really knowing God. It's what he says in verse 2. They want people to know, he says, I'm working, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. I love the way he says that, blunt. Like us, he lived in a world where people found spirituality very mysterious. There were all sorts of views floating around about God. And Christianity was by far not the most popular one at all. And Paul's like, yeah, I get lots of people think there's a mystery about God. It is very mysterious, isn't it? But I just want to be clear that the mystery of God is Christ. There's lots about God that's deeper than we could possibly imagine. But all of those mysteries are solved through Jesus, nowhere else. If you want to really know God, that bit is no longer a mystery. And the effect of this rich, deep assurance that we are united to God and everything wrong is redeemed only works if it is true. Unless Jesus is actually there, bringing you to God, the real God who is there, then we are just imagining we feel better and we may as well just use, you know, may as well take up vaping. It's the same effect. I have a friend who actually takes this approach. He says to me about Christian faith, you don't actually need to know it's true. I just engage with all the possibilities it brings, whatever that means, <laughs> and I use it to connect with community. So he's like, it's a positive experience to me hearing what you believe, even though I don't believe it. And in a sense, I'm happy about that. No, I'd rather that people find good things than bad things, and I'm glad he's using that to connect to a good community. But Paul is saying the actual deep riches, the life-changing power, the connection to the real personal God is only there if it's true and not mysterious, but clear that there is a real way to God 
through Jesus. And while it's simple, but so simple, the youngest children in our church can get that there's a mystery that Jesus brings you to God. There's also, for everybody, a lifetime ahead of growing and searching and making sense of the world through Jesus, because in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, says Paul in verse 3. Because Jesus is Lord, he is in charge of the world, nobody lives in a world where that isn't true. Everybody lives in a world where Jesus is in charge. No one has experienced anything else. And that means it's Jesus whose character is at the heart of every question. It's quite clear, isn't it? Sometimes in my line of work, people ask me, uh, what about the terrible things that Christians have done? Doesn't that undermine people believing in Christianity? What about the terrible things that Christians have done to me? Doesn't that mean I've got a reason not to believe in Christianity? Well, I've been reading this book recently, and um, it's called The Every Breathe. It's a very interesting book. One of the things the author points out about that question is he says, when you say that, you're actually using Christianity to critique Christians' behaviour. So when you say, when I was a child, Christians were horrible to me in school, I went to a religious school and the teachers were not kind or nice. The author says, why are you getting the idea that kindness and niceness are a good standard to judge people by? You might say, it's just common sense. It's only common sense because we've lived in a Christian-influenced world for 2,000 years. In the ancient world where Christianity came to, where it arrived, I'll keep going on. In the ancient world where Christianity arrived, nobody thought looking after other people was important. Nobody thought being horrible to children was a bad thing. People, if they didn't get the child they want, left them on hillsides to die. It was that type of world they lived in. When you are saying Christianity has abused women and children, it's been heartless and it's brought into the class system, and that's become normal and accepted. That's only because Jesus taught us that. And you could do endless lifelong study in all of those areas. You will find that we only believe in equality and compassion and goodness. Because of Jesus. All the treasures and wisdom and knowledge are him. And Paul is saying, so Jesus is so all-encompassing. He's so over everything, I'm going to fight for the sake of people I've never met to get a hold of it. Last thing we're going to see. My friend who does do this sort of, maybe it's true, maybe it's not approach. Um, I'm not like that. I'm more of a sort of black and white person. So I said to him, uh, why do you bother at all though? Like if you're not really sure it's true, why bother with it? And it was interesting. He said, well, the thing that I find is you don't really find the quality of community anywhere else. Well, I think what's happening there is this. He's sheltering under something that can only be made by reality. There's only real community if Jesus is true. And he's finding some shelter there, which is good. It's what Christians should be doing, but not really tracing back to the root of why it's there. Now, let me be honest. Christian communities can be as weird and dysfunctional as the next place. 
some people in the church are laughing, regulars. But at its best, and I actually think at its normality, this experience of being united in love that Paul talks about in verse 2, together in spirit, rejoicing in the victories of Christians he hasn't even met, it creates an amazing place to be. We are about everyone feeling the assurance of knowing God and doing that together. If you are new to the Christian faith today, can I tell you about experience that is coming sooner or later? The day will come when you don't want to come to church. It might not be this service, it's usually the prayer meeting we get this feeling, but it might be your small group. The day will come when you think, yeah, it was all fun on the day of my baptism, but I'm not finding it too fun now. I've got important things to do instead, like make sandwiches. It's very important that I stay at home and correct this person I'm arguing with on the internet. If I don't do that, the world will stop. Or that eternal British time filler, I have important faffing about to do. I'm too busy to go to my small group. I'm going to stay home and feel stressed about work. And what happens is you don't go and you feel in flat as as you did before you decided not to go. But I'm not claiming that church meetings are like Alton Towers. Do you know what I mean? They're not like high adrenaline, full-on experience, usually. You never know what's going to happen. But usually. But I think what you do find is that when you fight that feeling and you go anyway, something deep and encouraging happens. Something that wouldn't even happen if you'd stayed at home and read the Bible for yourself. You get assured somehow of the riches of Jesus through a song or a conversation or just being with other Christians. That's what Paul says in verse 2. He says, um, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches. Living in community will show you the riches of it. And even Christians in the world who can't attend and experience that, Paul says the Spirit somehow connects us with those Christians in ways that delight us both. There are Christians in our church, who are part of our church, but for various reasons live abroad in countries where it's actually illegal to go to church. And when we hear about each other, it's still a delight, even though they can't come and be with us. And so Christians who soldier on alone, physically choosing to be alone for no reason, being or coming and being present, but closed to other Christians, they're missing out on the riches that there are in Christ for us. Well, back to what we're going to do today. This is a picture of the baptism we did, I think, about a year ago. Joe's here, is it a year ago? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, we're going to do this in a minute. We uh, do baptisms here, and we are in a church that meets every week and connects with each other during the week. We do all of this because we want everyone to feel the assurance of really knowing God and that happens more when we are together. There are people in our church doing, going off from here this week to do amazing, to do difficult, to do heartbreaking things. And some of them like come and set up chairs or play music or serve coffee to people. 
and they might feel, or you might feel about them, gosh, your life is difficult enough, why are you doing that too? But I think what Paul is saying here is, yes, we all need a lot of help, but we find the riches there are for us when we're together. Chonian in community isn't an extra thing to add to the difficulty of life. It's a resource to help you know in your heart that you are loved by Christ. There are deep riches, there are a place to dwell, to be known and accepted about that. And that's why we didn't just do these baptisms in someone's bathtub at home. Would have been a perfectly valid baptism. But we've asked the girls to stand up today and speak, and we're going to go outside and watch them so that we can all know a little bit more of the riches of Christ. That full attachment and redemption that he offers us.